Hello everyone and welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast. For those of you that are new here, I'm your host Ethan Bridge and I just want to start off this episode by saying thank you all for joining. With today's hustle mentality, it's not often you hear someone encouraging you to work less or hear about someone who is extremely successful and only working a few hours a day. We all expect founders and CEOs to be working tirelessly. We imagine sleepless nights, 18-hour workdays and high stress, which yes, is the case for many, but not James Schramko, who is today's guest on the podcast. James is the founder of Superfast Business, a company that James started after many years of experience to help the online business owner get plenty more profit while working a lot less. To me, that sounds like a no-brainer. Yes, James does now try to enjoy his life as much as he possibly can, but it took years of hard work to get to this point, so don't be fooled. It's like the 80-20 principle. It's a concept that two out of 10 items on any general to-do list will turn out to be worth more than the other eight items put together. It's these two that James focuses on. That's allowed him to be able to build his life the exact way he wants it to be, with time freedom. James and I discuss all of this. We talk about his journey and how he managed to get to the point in which he's at today. We talk about his various streams of income, how it's important to not become overwhelmed by this hustle mentality, and so, so, so much more. Believe it or not, it's okay to take a break every now and again. And James is going to explain to you how and why he works this way. I can't wait for you to hear what he has to say. So without any further ado, let's dive straight into today's episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast. I am extremely excited for today's episode because we have James Schramko on the show. James, how are you doing today? Good, thank you, Ethan. The day's just started over here for me. And I'm pretty excited about what it will bring. And I'm the complete opposite. The day is coming to an end for me after this call. I am in London. You are in Australia. And just goes to show what technology can do these days. So I can't wait to get this podcast underway. So for the listeners that don't know who you are, do you mind just giving us a quick 60-second introduction of who you are and what you do, please? Uh, well, James Shramko and I coach online businesses predominantly and I uh, started my online business around uh, the end of 2005 and at the time I had a job, I was a general manager for a Mercedes-Benz dealership. So I had learned a lot of traditional business skills in real businesses and I made the switch across to my own business. It took about two and a half years to transition because I needed to replace my income and ever since then I've done certain things like I've um, promoted things as an affiliate for commission. I have built an SEO business and sold it. I built a website development business and sold it. And I've continued to coach along the way. And and in that process, I've really improved my own network and uh, abilities uh, because of the, the kind of people who I'm coaching these days. I get exposed to a lot of best practice. I did publish a book called Work Less, Make More. Uh, which really encapsulates the way that I live my life now. Uh, it sort of falls under the topic of lifestyle design. And I know if you're very young, uh, you probably got fire in your belly and you're ready to work 20 hours a day and you don't necessarily have um, as many commitments or, or risks to fall 
that, that you can't fall down a few times. But at my stage in life where I'm starting to mature a little more, uh, I do have commitments and I, I have burnt a lot of the energy along the way to get to where I'm at. So I'm in this phase where I want to live more of a semi-retired lifestyle, but uh, you have to put the logs on the fire before you get the heat. Uh, so it's kind of like an instruction guide for people coming through. Don't make some of the mistakes that I've made. And we'll probably talk about a couple of those today as well. For sure. And I can't wait to dive into those. But the way I like to start all my episodes is by throwing it back with my guests and talking to them about their time at school. So let's focus on a 14-year-old version of yourself. How were you at school? Were you a straight-A student, bang average, coasted along and did what you needed to do, or were you the class clown? I was not the class clown. At at that stage, I was uh, probably in second uh, year eight, whatever they call it. Yep. And uh, I was a late developer, so I was, I was young for my year. Because I'd changed states, I went from uh, Victoria to New South Wales when I was about five, and I started school just a bit too early. So I was almost the youngest kid in the, the year, and all the other kids, they seemed to grow a bit bigger, and they, they, they got their pimples before me, and they... Um, they were, you know, had deeper voices before me and they just, I had, I think I had uh, good intelligence, but my grades were never um, up to what they should be according to, um, you know, how smart I was supposed to be. And so I was pretty much an underperformer at school and, uh, and I hated school. I was at a, a fancy private school. It was very draconian it was um, fear and and uh, and command type leadership. They had sergeant majors walking around with canes that would you know hit you for uh, not much of a, a good reason. And uh, I would probably stare out the window half the time daydreaming. And I didn't realise at that time when I was fourteen. But a year or two later, uh, a, a progressive sort of doctor in Sydney diagnosed me with having some kind of ADHD and and uh, then I got subs- uh, prescribed Ritalin and that helped me move forward uh, in my grades but I think it was too late for me and, and as it turns out if you fast forward to year 12 I failed my high school certificate that used to be scored out of 500 and I got something like 224 uh, which was very disappointing for me and uh, for my parents and it didn't leave me many options for uh, education. I think the only course I qualified for was food technology out at Penrith, which is a long drive. And I didn't really want to go and learn how to make peanut butter. <laughs> for sure. So did you end up going to university or any form of higher education? I actually, um, I started an associate diploma in accounting at the at a system we have called TAFE, which is like a... Um, government type universities so you can upgrade that to a diploma later it was in accounting so I um, started it but got glandular fever and I couldn't continue and I took the year off and then I started it again the next year and I made it a year and a half through a two-year course and I really struggled with this one subject called financial accounting a I think I did it two or three times and couldn't quite 
crack that one. <laughs> and, uh, and it was at that time I had to seek full-time employment because my family um, basically ran out of money. And uh, it was, I was probably 19 at the time and it was uh, a, a recession in Australia. So um, at your age, you haven't really seen a recession yet because it's been 30 years since the last recession, but it was doom and gloom. And I went and got a job in debt collection full time. And so I picked a thriving industry and, uh, you know, I put on my, my suit and went into the city every day for a job. So I never finished the associate diploma in accounting. Some of the subjects that I did were fantastic, especially business communications and accounting and the law. I love the two law subjects. It was commercial law one and commercial law two. I absolutely loved those subjects. Um, several years later, I did a, um, a commercial agents practice certificate, which was kind of like a private inquiry slash repossession type certification. I had to do it for work and I got straight A's in that. It's like the first time I got any kind of academic success. I've just killed it. And then um, several years later, I enrolled when I was about 23, I enrolled in a marketing course by uh, distance and I did one semester of marketing at university as a mature age student because I could never qualify before. And um, at that time, I then discovered we were having a baby and life just soaked me up and I, I couldn't continue with that. And uh, so I dropped out after one semester. So don't have any sort of formal diploma or I'm not a professor. So academia has eluded me. But that does show that you don't necessarily need a diploma or a university degree to get somewhere in life because you no, no, there's absolutely no doubt about that i mean if you <laughs> um whether it's bill gates or or um mark zuckerberg through to the like uh, the rich 200 list they publish in australia in the magazines more than half of them uh, don't have a university degree so uh, there's, there's no question that it's not a, a pre-requirement for having a successful life. It's just going to suit some people. And of my kids, uh, one of them is um, doing academia and, and will be, it's almost qualified to be a vet. So there are some industries where you absolutely have to go yeah. and do university. Do you want to be a vet or a lawyer, a doctor, a accountant? You're going to have to do the degree. And... I'm glad that the professionals who I hire who have those skills have been through their courses. Uh, but then the, the entrepreneurial world that I'm in, uh, you'll find a lot less people who have uh, academic qualifications. For sure. So when you were pursuing education at the time, did you always know that you were going to go into a corporate or did you always have that feeling that you were going to end up working for yourself? I never knew what I was going to be. No to some plan. extent, I st still don't know what I'm going to be when I grow up, you know, and I'll turn 49 in a few months. So, um, yeah, it's like, it's such a tough ask to, to get a 16 year old or a 20 year old, uh, to decide what they're going to be when they grow up. I mean, in my daughter's case, she's absolutely, she was going to be a vet. She loves animals. She rode horses from when she was like nine. She's a animal whisperer. 
she got 99 out of 100 with her high school certificate. She's very smart. And there was no question that's what she wants. But she's the rare one. Of the other kids, none of them have a clue <laughs> what they want to be. And what I've realized as I get older, like um, to some extent, age equals um, wisdom. You know, like you get experience as you go. And, and as I look back at myself, so I'm only talking about myself here, but it could be true perhaps of others. You know pretty much nothing when you're 20. You're just full of energy and adrenaline and you know you've you've had your upbringing you're pretty much a a reflection of your upbringing by this point and then um 20 to 30 you think oh i figured this all out i'm now i realized what i didn't really realize as a teenager and gosh i was silly when i was 20 uh you know and you get to 30 but when you hit 40 you think god when i was 30 i thought i knew fucking everything but i realized in hindsight there's still some things to fill in (laughs) I really, I really feel like you don't know that much and until you hit your 40s. And that's when you can really leverage and um, compound all of the learnings you've had prior. Um, you can definitely build up momentum and then uh, use that momentum to, to, to acquire wealth, to um, build networks, etc. much faster. Most, most people, and it might be different for your generation, but most people make most of their money in their latter years because that's when they've got the earning potential. It's when they've made the mistakes. And, and I think what you're doing is very clever. You're interviewing people and asking them their biggest mistakes. So you might save yourself a couple of decades of yeah. hassle. So <laughs> it's a, I it's imagine a, you'll have a, an unusual trajectory for a 21-year-old um, based on some of the peer group who I've uh, experienced at that age you know, because I've got kids in that, in that group. You know, I've got a yeah. 24-year-old, 22-year-old and a 19-year-old uh, and a 17-year-old. So I've got a good cohort coming through the system right now and it's interesting for them because they grew up in a different time. So people just think it's a, an interesting question that I'm asking when I talk about failures. But really, as you say, it's just a little progression hack for myself. It's a selfish question. But ends up it's being easier to learn from other people's yeah. mistakes than to make yeah. them yourself. Exactly. Now, contrary to the popular um, theory, I'm not a huge fan of making mistakes yourself. Like some people say, just get out there, make as many mistakes as you can. And um, I think I'd, I'd rather not. Thank you very <laughs> much. Like I do read lots of books and I do speak to um, plenty of people in business, and I've seen. Other people make plenty of mistakes, especially the places where I've worked in the past. I prefer to just give them a miss, uh, but to yeah. know about them is very important. For sure. So something I want to ask you about then is the fact that before you actually ended up in entrepreneurship and working for yourself is that you were in fact in a very successful corporate job, as in you were earning a fantastic salary and essentially were very stable so why did you end up transitioning into entrepreneurship when you were comfortable and at the time you did have a child and a family to look after as such yeah well you know i i had four kids and um had had a mortgage on an expensive house in sydney because uh, every house in sydney is expensive yeah. <laughs> the average house in sydney is over a million dollars Wow. Um, now that that's, that wouldn't translate to a million pounds, 
you know, but no. it's still probably five or six hundred thousand pounds average house. That means half the houses are more expensive than that. Um, I would not say that I was comfortable. I, I'd say yes, I had a good income. I was close to three hundred thousand dollars a year. It would translate to. Uh, I'd been doing it for a while. I was the best at it, and I felt there was a huge risk. There was a global financial fallout starting to happen in the United States. Um, lending market was first, and I was starting to get uh, triggered emotions of what happened to me when I was a kid when my family came into hard financial times. So. I was very concerned that I might be made redundant and lose that single income. I'm being paid by one company who could give me one month's notice and say, we no longer require you, you know, and they could, they could save themselves $300,000 a year by this point. In the meantime, I'd also uh, to some extent made my role redundant in that I had completely transformed the business i had set up systems for everything everyone was doing what they were supposed to do we were getting good results and if i owned the business i'd probably be looking at my own uh, position thinking well jobs being done may not need that role anymore so i was uh, pretty much expecting that my neck was getting put on a chopping block and every day i went to work i wondered if it might be my last day so it's very stressful so I worked really, really hard on building my online business as protection to help me in that scenario. And I did a very rare thing and quit, um, you know, what most people would call a, a good job. But I didn't think it was safe. You know, you hear words like safe and job put together. But in reality, a job is one of the least safe things you can possibly do. And... and you know, yesterday I saw in the news, um, Hong Kong Shanghai Bank is going to shed 35,000 jobs, right? 35,000 jobs disappear uh, that used to exist that will no longer exist. Now, if you're a highfalutin banker on a big fat cat salary and you now no longer have a job, that's going to be a bit of a pain. So I yeah. think you have the most control when you have your own business and a very important principle that got into my mind and that I have stuck with is I want to get paid by lots of people. So I think you're much safer if you're getting paid by a hundred people or 500 people or a thousand people. Uh, that way, if you lose one customer, it's not the end of the world. Now, if you have a thousand customers and one's decided that you're no longer the best solution, it doesn't really make much of a difference. Like it's not even a percent of a difference. It's like yeah. point, point 0.1 of a percent difference. Uh, and I can handle that. For sure. So what was your first taste of entrepreneurship? What was that online business that allowed you to quit your corporate job? Well, they're two separate questions because I was definitely entrepreneurial before my online business. Yeah. So, you know, it de depends uh, how far back you want to go. Let's go with the online business. We'll start there. <laughs> right. Um, with the online business, I, I was really a fan of Jay Abraham material and I was helping a salesperson uh, get up to speed and I wanted to go and find a, um, a book for Jay Abraham. And I did some searching online and I found this report um, of Jay Abraham material. 
and it wanted to get my email address and it would give me the report. So I entered my email address and I didn't realize at the time, but this was a name capture page. It was a, and once I got the reports, they said I could give away the reports and I could earn commission. I thought that's interesting. It's about 2005. So um, there was this site called ClickBank and there was this report and I could become an affiliate, uh, which I realized meant just a commission only sales rep. And I get this link and I put it out there and if people buy it and, and upgrade to the paid product, then I'd get commission. So I got this link and I started trying to put it onto my, I, I found out my internet service provider um, provided a page. You could have your own page. So I put this link all over the page and it was like green and black and uh, spammy looking and not a single person visited the site or, or clicked on it. So it was a failure. Um, but I've discovered the important concept. You know, there's people out there who write compelling words that make me want to give them their email address and then offer commission. I thought, wouldn't it be good if I could sell products online instead of in the dealership, you know, to anyone anywhere in the world, even while I'm asleep versus having to be awake uh, and driving into work and only able to sell one product to someone within a 20 kilometer radius uh, if they happen to want this brand versus all the other brands. So it was like, mm. this is good. And then, at the same time, my family had experienced some heat in the travel industry because people started booking their own stuff online. And that was one of the early industries to really innovate with, with the changes in behavior of the web. And, and I also noticed people were coming into the dealership and they knew so much more about the models than Mercedes-Benz was telling us. And I'm like, they're looking it up online. This, this online thing, I think it's more than just a fad. I really think it's worth understanding and I dabbled with it 10 years before in 1996 I had a PC and I used to dial up very 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 slowly and wait like <laughs> half an hour for the page to load uh, but I would look at spy shots of BMWs and things and uh, research the Loch Ness monster and UFOs and stuff and that was kind of an interesting thing and I do that uh, in the nursery where my baby was pretending to sleep all night uh, just sitting next to him and I was using the, the computer. So this was like 24 years ago. But then when my computer died, I didn't renew it. And I didn't have a computer at home until 2005 again. So that's sort of the early days. And I just figured it's probably best if I learn how to build a website. That was my mission. And it was incredibly difficult, uh, super frustrating. It took me a while to do. And um, then I sort of accidentally discovered that the website software that I had, I'd arrived on as being the only way I could build a website after trying four or five different ways to do it uh, might also be useful for other people who are in the same challenge that I'm having. And so I made that the product that I wanted to sell and I made a demonstration site with it and I taught myself copywriting, uh, website building, traffic, uh, creating documents, PDFs, uh, audio and video. I was working around with that pretty early on and uh, started making some affiliate sales and, you know, just one at the start and then two and then three. And then I really ramped up and I got, I created bonuses for it. I started doing a lot of forum marketing, writing articles and building up my sales. And I, actually got that particular product up to around about 10 grand a month um, at its peak 
of where I got, got it to, but that wasn't, still wasn't enough. It wasn't even half my salary. Yeah. So I had to do other things to supplement. What were those other things at the time? Cause obviously you probably don't do them now, but at the time, what ideas popped into your head? I probably still do some of them. <laughs> um, one thing was I was creating a bonus for people to buy from me instead of anyone else. It was a very competitive market. And this bonus was useful for people who wanted to buy the website building software because it helped them get better results. So I really nailed it with the bonus. It was a cheat sheet. And one day, some people were talking about it in a forum and they're saying, hey, like, oh my God, if you've got this software, you absolutely have to get this cheat sheet. And so someone sent me an email and it said, could I get this cheat sheet? You know, I've already got the software. Now at the time I used to make $49.25 commission if someone bought this software for $198. Later on the company increased it to $98 commission. Um, like I got, I got half. Um, but at that time I was getting $49.25. So I said, look, why don't you send me $40 in PayPal and I'll send you over the cheat sheet. Uh, so they did, and I did. And I went to bed next day. I uh, woke up in my inbox is like 20 or 30 requests for the cheat sheet. And, and I'm like, whoa, hang on a minute. <laughs> Where's this come? Um, they'd gone back to the forum and said, hey, yeah, they're like, guys, if you, if you send $40 on PayPal, you can have the cheat sheet and you should definitely get it. So... Um, I'm like, whoa, I think I've got a bit of a product here. So I, I registered the domain for the cheat sheet. And then I've, I went into the online forum that was popular back then. And just to, for context, this is before Facebook had groups. It's before Facebook had pages, I think. Uh, there was these online forums and they had a special offer section where you could put up a sales page and make an offer. And I put up my special offer for $40 and I was, I remember very clearly I was moving house that week from one house to another. And in mind, my, my salary was uh, 300 grand a year. Right. So I was making over or well, around about a thousand bucks a day in my, my job, you know, then minus tax. Yeah. But this particular first day that, it, that sales opened, I made a thousand dollars in sales. And it's just like, hang on a minute. And then the next day, $1,000. And I made $1,000 a day, like for the whole week. And I remember thinking if, if I could actually do this full time and keep this run rate, I wouldn't have to go to work. That was the first moment that I thought this is a possibility. I was like Tarzan in the jungle on my vine, reaching out, grabbing another vine and thinking, maybe I can let go of the old one and maybe this new vine yeah. can get me to the other side of the jungle. And it was, you know, sort of gave me goosebumps to think about the possibilities. I was reading the four hour work week at the time. Uh, you know, I was full of energy and enthusiasm because I was younger and, uh, and I really had pressure at work, a lot of pressure. So I, I felt like this is something I can really lean into. So that, that's basically how it started. And then from there, I ended up having all these customers who had a website building software and they had a cheat sheet. And then what else? You know, they, they wanted to make money online. They wanted support. They wanted help. Some of them didn't seem to understand any business fundamentals. 
you know, which I knew as a general manager, all of the fundamentals. They had no clue how to hire a team. They didn't know how to value the different tasks they're doing. They didn't have any idea about strategy or tactics or anything. Just often they were just good at something and just pure lucky, uh, but they were just a mess. So I started helping these people and it put me in a position where I could help them drive traffic. I could help them have a better strategy. I was promoting other people's memberships as an affiliate. And then I thought I should start my own because I could do a better job. And so I started my own membership in 2009. So I've had my own recurring membership for over a decade. I started podcasting in, in 2009. Early and I started days. running live, live events in 2009. So that sort of triad of podcast events and recurring membership has been a good formula for me. And around the side of that, I've still built service businesses based on the demand of my customers and myself. Like, you know, can you help me build a website? Yeah, okay. So I get a couple of team members and we build them websites and now we have a web business and then can you help me rank the website in Google? Yep, because we do it. Okay, I'll get a couple more team members. I actually end up with 65 people in my team and, you know, we were doing over a million dollars a year just in our SEO business and it was a great business and I did that for seven years and then sold it and uh, the website development business, about the same. So, yeah, been a few different ways along the journey. And these days I take partnerships in other people's businesses, a small stake where I help them grow it and it's their business and they run it and I get a percentage of their revenue over and above what they were when they started with me. And that's that's been my sort of most recent business model. That gives me lots of protection because I'm now getting paid from plenty of different people. Uh, if they have a bad month, it doesn't really affect me too much because I've got other people having a great month. So it takes care of the cycles and the cash flow and I get a regular recurring income. Does that, I assume those people are in different destinations around the world as well. So I assume that protects you against various totally. I've got, I've got 65% of my business is outside Australia. Uh, 35% is Australian. So I have a very good, global spread of USA, North, you know, North America market, Canada, um, UK, and then Asia. I've got, I've got clients everywhere, especially most of the English speaking places across Europe. Uh, some of my very best clients are in the UK. I go and visit them every year or two as well. And we do a meetup and it's, uh, again, it was important for me, like, what can I do to protect myself from single source dependency? So I'm working in multiple currencies. I have clients in multiple places. I have lots of clients and I'm in a few different business models, but mostly related to the same core principles so that I can leverage them. For sure. So as well, mainly that's going to be passive income, I assume. And I think one of the biggest things today, and I mean, this is probably largely because of Gary V's hustle mentality is people are so focused about just putting as much effort as they possibly can no time off to build their businesses which you did early on in the day but I think you'd largely largely disagree with now right I mean you've also written a book work less make more work less make yeah work less make more which goes completely against that hustle mentality of 
put everything you have and no time off in order to succeed sort of thing. So what's your opinion on that hustle mentality? Well, I've seen Gary V also change a little bit on that too. Mm-hmm. Like that was the message of his that I disliked for me because I, I had a strong work ethic. I was working hard, but you really have to do the right things. It's more important to do the right things than to do a lot of things yeah, uh, or to do things right. Just like what um, Peter Drucker used to say, do the right things instead of doing things right. So with the Gary Vee thing, you know, I've read his books and I've been inspired by him, especially on the content marketing side of things. He was early in it and I was early in it as well. And then I stopped for a while and then I'm back in it. Um, but he's softened up a lot. You know, he's all about love and compassion and, yeah. and he's, he doesn't share his personal life. So you don't know what he does. You don't, he doesn't tell you about his vacations and time with family or whatever, if he has any. Um, but he used to brag about working 18 hour days and stuff. Uh, um, and it's super unhealthy and you will kill yourself early. So I do think you need to go out and chop down the trees and put the logs on the fire to get the heat from the fire. You can't cheat. There's no shortcut there. You will have to work. So I think if you're in the young early phase, do the work while you can, while you don't have uh, wives, kids, mortgages, and all the constraints that might happen later on in life that make it a bit harder or give people excuses not to cut loose. I know my, my kids have um, incredible energy. So, you know, I had a lot of energy in my twenties and thirties. Even I did so much, you know, age does sometimes it catches up with you. You can, you can end up with more commitments. Like you physically, your body starts to change. You, you releasing less of certain chemicals. you start to find, you know, you it's easy to put on weight. You get tired and these, these sort of things can happen, but I'm saying, yes, by all means hustle, but do the right things just just get into it harness that energy and i work with lots of people younger than me my my absolute sweet spot of people that i work with would be between the age of 35 to 45 those people i've got runs on the board but they're a bit out of control Um, i do have a couple of 20 somethings i've got two in my group out of 30 and those people have the most energy and the most crazy like everything they touch turns to gold opportunities and my main job with them is filling them in on all the stuff they have no idea about. Like, yeah. Trademarks, yeah. fraud, um, <laughs> uh, deal making partnerships, um, contracts, legalities. Um, even just that some of them think they can do like 15 different projects. Like I had a conversation last night with one of my, my most brilliant students. He's doing like $600,000 a month. And wow. he's got three projects and his main things like which, you know, where do I put my attention and my time? I'm like, well, I asked him if he's heard about the jam test and he hadn't. And we talked about the loss of energy transferring between tasks. And I gave him some metaphors to help explain it. That as you start expanding to five to seven to 11 things, you start to perform pretty poorly on most of them. <laughs> so I said, stop adding things to start with. And now let's score each one to see where the opportunity is and be prepared to um, focus more on on one or two of them than all three of them equally because they're they're not equal. They can't be equal. Nothing's like your wardrobe is not equal unless you only have three black shirts. (laughs) You will favour one over the other. Um, 
the, the way you operate in your house is not equal. You spend more time in your bedroom than your bathroom probably. So like, let's, let's score them and identify. So yeah, I think this is a really interesting one and, uh, and, and you will have to put in the work. I don't know of, I mean, stop thinking pina colada, hammock style riches, even, even my customers who post those sort of glamour pictures or whatever, they work like dogs behind the scenes. <laughs> they have to work seven days a week, 15 hours a day uh, to portray a laptop lifestyle, if you know what I mean. And passive income yeah. is a bit of a um, misunderstood term. And even some of my clients have been used that kind of catchphrase in their marketing, even in their domain name. And they will admit that it doesn't come without work. So it's not really the correct description. Um, for me, a passive income is if I take the money out of my business and then I put it into a property portfolio or a, a share portfolio, or I have a royalty or a license type income, then that's passive income. For my mm. book, right, I put that up on Amazon and on Audible and they put money into my account every month, whether I do anything or not. Now I can actively promote my book. I can get more people to go and buy it. And now it's active income. But if I just focus on other stuff and ignore the book and that money keeps coming, then that is, uh, that is the passive income and it's, it's good. And one of my clients, he makes six figures a year off his book just from having his book on Amazon. They, he sells hundreds or thousands of copies every day and it is possible, but it's very rare. Yeah. Most people make their money from their book on the back end by converting their visitor into something that pays. And usually there's an active component. For sure. And I like the way you mentioned about, yes, some of your clients do portray that laptop lifestyle, but they work like dogs in order oh, to get there. Cause that's something. It's just marketing. Yeah. Like the only Q rating, you, what you see on social media is a very thin slice of reality. Exactly. And I do worry, um, some of the younger marketers uh, i mean if this if it's all you know is that whole insta world and you think that's real then there is a crash landing coming especially yeah. when a recession hits the world will stop and i've seen i've seen uh instagram influencers you know become suicidal when their sponsor stops them or, or their account gets stopped and they, their life is meaningless from that point forward just be very careful about that for sure. And I always, that's one of the biggest things I mention on this podcast. And it's why I ask all my guests about their two biggest failures. And it's around the aspect of this entrepreneur lifestyle on Instagram is literally just a highlight reel. We only see the best bits. We don't see them working like dogs in the background to be able to, to have these, what we call laptop lifestyles. So I asked you before to prepare two biggest failures in your journey so far. So if you don't mind, we'll jump into those right now. So what have you got as failure number one? Well, failure number one is uh, chronologically placed. And that is when I still had my job, I was still trying to research and find stuff out by for free. And I think I was too slow to invest in information and resources. So it was weird. Like by day I was running a business that at that time was generating around $50 million a year. And you know, we were probably spending uh, $49 million a year to make $50 million a year. Like motor dealerships have very crap margins. If you know, 2% is yeah. the average margin for a motor dealership. Wow. 
So it's like we spend a lot to make a lot and we, you know, we could keep a profit. Uh, and then of course we build land value and that sort of stuff. And there is a business value. And then by night I was trying to learn all this stuff and it was just me. I had no team and I had, you know, I had to go and look stuff up. So as soon as I started buying eBooks and paying for memberships, I actually sped up my progress. And when I started hiring team, I really sped up my progress. So I, I had a pretty slow start in the beginning. I think of nine months without making any money. And even though like, uh, there's the opposite of this, there's people who go to seminars and spend 10 grand and 15 grand and 20 grand and never implement anything. And they buy every course for two or 3,000 and they don't implement. Uh, so it comes with a caveat. I could have invested in myself a little quicker as long as I consumed and, and put to use the information, which I absolutely did. I mean, the first eBooks I bought, well, they were only like $30 or whatever, but I was still hesitant to spend 30 or $40 on an eBook. Uh, one of the first ones I bought was called The Rich Jerk. And uh, another one I bought was by Yannick Silva. And these things helped me sort of bridge the gap. I'm going through them thinking, well, I actually know a lot of this, but I'm not this one or that one. And that just filled yeah. in some of the gaps for me. For sure. And that's one of the biggest things as well. It's like someone will, it's the way we prioritize our money when we don't have that invest in yourself mindset is somewhat like, for example, people would happily go out and buy the new model of the iPhone every year and spend a thousand dollars yet. They won't invest in a course that if they implemented that course could then change their life forever. Like it baffles me that people would oh, it's, rather. It's absolutely true. I, I can buy a surfboard for a thousand dollars or I could buy a um, viral, viral marketing you know, blog course for $2,000. Um, you know, like we do think differently. We, we're pretty much consumers. We'll buy a big TV, but we won't buy a course. I, I think you can have both, but it comes with time and effort. <laughs> there is yeah. time and effort. I, I, would, I would change passive income to leveraged income. I think that's really a good yeah. goal to have uh, because that's being realistic, but also clever. For sure. And I think that's a great first failure to mention, invest in yourself. What's failure number two? Um, for me, I'd call this one partnership tax. And this was when I wanted to have a recurring income membership. For some reason, I was sort of putting it off and there was some, there was some roadblocks or obstacles. I, I wasn't super techie and um, I had a fantastic, brilliant, bright student. He was killing it. Like he paid me $700 a month. And already in the first week, I added $250 a day to his income with some techniques that I shared with him. And then I introduced him to some business that ended up generating him a couple of million dollars a year. And what I needed was someone to help me set up this thing. And I thought I needed a partner to run it. So, um, I will set this thing up and do this thing together. And he said, yes, this is great. And he went out and researched the platforms we were going to use. He researched the, um, you know, he helped me set up the first funnel we had to, to move people from a prospect into a customer. And then, uh, you know, the, the idea was we'd both drive traffic to it and we both, you know, answer questions from the members. But as it turned out over time, I ended up driving 99.9% .9 of the traffic and I ended up answering at least 75% of the, the questions. And 
I still had the obstacles of having to check in and get permission and agree on stuff uh, on this 50-50 split. So after four years and uh, having sent um, $10,000 a month off to Switzerland for four years, I'd suggested, you know, this is a bit lopsided. Would, would you like to adjust the split? Uh, or could I buy you out or could you buy me out? Because I think we need to make a change. He just didn't want to make a change. In the end, I had to go and start my own thing. And within a few months, everyone migrated across. Um, The reality of it financially was that I was able to triple my income with that one move. Um, So the lesson for me was I was too dependent on a partner. I was basically abdicating some responsibility. Mm. I could have paid someone... $10,000 to set this website up for me or build the funnel. And I would have saved myself $390,000 in hindsight, you know, like a very expensive way to do it. And what I do see a lot of rookies do, which is a huge mistake is they partner with someone they're like, Hey, let's, you know, let's partner, let's do a 50, 50. This is very common. But what they're really saying is I want to abdicate responsibility for this. And I will, I'm kind of hoping you'll just, you know, carry my load a bit. And um, it's a, it's a way out. It's like, cause it's lonely and it's hard to be the, the, the guy with, um, you know, the person carrying all the responsibilities and making all of the decisions. It's hard, but that's what you get paid the big money for. As soon as you do a 50, 50 deal, you've just halved your amount. You get out of the deal, unless it really is the collaboration where you can truly get a better result with the two of you than you can with one, which I will say is much rarer than the opposite where usually it's just two people cutting up uh, and putting in a half an effort. (laughs) So you're getting half out of half an effort. There's no point. So say if someone was to go into a business in a partnership, what steps do you suggest they lay out before starting? Do you say they have a set? A written agreement. Absolutely has to be a written agreement that is uh, signed by each party that clearly spells out who does what, uh, who owns what, what happens if it uh, fails or doesn't work out or how does it end if it's even if it's amicable, like what's the agreement to exit? You've got to know where the exit door is before you enter the building. Otherwise, forget it. If you don't have it in writing, don't do it. Waste of time. Great advice. Thank you for sharing those as well because people don't like talking about failures. And it's apparent because we only tend to see the successes. And that's why I like asking because I find it super interesting. (laughs) So that makes up the bulk of the episode today. But I do like to round off all of my episodes with a final five. So just five quick questions, which I hope you have five quick answers to. So the first question is, who is the first person that comes to mind when I say the word successful? That's not a simple question. I'm sorry. I see, like I've got this ability to find fault with things very easily. It's, yeah. um, I think they call it a mismatcher, which is very good in my line of work, right? I have to tell people what's going to bring them unstuck. So I could tell you the failure or the downfall of everyone who would typically be named as successful, whether it's Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Walt Disney, um, Elon Musk, Richard Branson. Well, I'll tell you, all the things that that they've failed at or suck at that make them not successful in my eyes. So um, I think um, 
it would probably have to be someone obscure who you've, you've never heard of. But I, I would, I would probably say it's a friend of mine who's um, half a hippie uh, who he, he's sometimes his biggest problem is that his face hurts because he's smiling too much. This guy is probably the happiest person I've ever met. He doesn't have a bad bone in his body. He smiles all the time. He's happy and content and uh, joyful. And, uh, and I'd say he's successful in, in, in terms of living life. This guy's doing what is perfect for him. And I think that's an important way of thinking about success. Uh, yeah. I like that you said that because you didn't go straight down the route of money. You went down the fact that he is just uh, money is really like, that's like the, really not the, that should not be the success metric mm. for most people. Yeah. Um, on a, on a sort of a, on a rant level, most people are pursuing the wrong goals in their life. Like the number one thing people state to me when, when they want to come and join my high level program is they want to make $10 million a year. Like I can tell you, this is like nine out of 10. They say that, and it's just ego talk. It's some, it's some lack. It's a fear of being insignificant. It's a uh, fear that they're not being acknowledged. They're being driven from some um, lizard brain desire to get up there and be the most sexually powerful mate on the planet or something. There's something deep down going on, but it's probably not their goal. It really shouldn't be the goal in most cases. And I've usually talked most people off the ledge. Yeah. Uh, and some of these people are pretty stubborn and the ones who still pursue it afterwards, I've seen them have some catastrophic failures in other areas of their life, like uh, marriage breakdowns or um, health, typically health issues. You know, they'll put themselves in a hospital bed uh, repeatedly because <laughs> they've got some chip in their brain that uh, it should be pulled out with a pair of pliers. For sure. For me, Great. surfing every day is a success metric. I'm having the best surfs at the moment. There's been a cyclone off the east coast of Australia and it's caused big waves to come. And like every day lately, I've been surfing twice a day. Um, my 19-year-old kid last night, he said, Dad, you, you're just glowing. You've got, you, just, <laughs> you look so healthy and happy. I'm like, for me, that's it. Yeah. That's Success, yes. I, I like having a roof over my head. Don't worry, I've, I prefer having money. Hmm. Money is important and money gives you leverage. Beyond that, though, once you actually get money and once you get time, and this makes no sense to a 19-year-old listening because they don't have money. They do have time, but they don't have money uh, generally. Once you have money and once you have time, then other things become important like relationships health, uh, fun. Like when was the last time you had fun? You don't want to be that boring guy sleeping in a sleeping bag underneath the desk for your internet startup entrepreneurial hustle. You're probably going to be filled with regret down the track because you've skipped some important aspect of life. But at the same time, you can't just be drinking beers in your backyard, smoking bongs and, um, playing on Instagram, that's, that won't actually get you anywhere either. So there's got to be somewhere in the middle, <laughs> I think. And yeah, yeah. the quicker you get there, I think the, the more successful your life will be. Exactly. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. And thank you for sharing that. So 
what's the best investment you've ever made? So this can just be money, uh, time, books, energy, books, books, hundred percent. Any? Would you pick out any top three oh, in no, particular? Fuck, oh God, that's like that's <laughs> such a hard question. I mean, I'm like, if I turn the camera, you know, I've got a couple of thousand books on my wall over there, and they they stay with me. I've started reading started reading books early. I read a sales book when I was 12. Uh, but definitely in my, you know, when I had a full-time job, like when I got a sales job, I went down to the business book library. I bought six or seven books on selling. When I got promoted as a sales manager, I went down to the business book store. I bought seven books on sales management. I read them all in one weekend and I implemented them. Yeah. So, I mean, the book that's changed my life the most is my own book for obvious reasons. Yeah. It's, it's made me have to think about everything I know to date and put it into a couple of hundred pages. That's hard. It's really hard. So it's a digest of everything I know and have read it up until the point when I made the book a couple of years ago. And, and of course, it's changed the positioning I have in my marketplace and it's brought me fantastic customers. So it's had a big change in my life. But I would definitely read Getting Everything You Can Out of All You Got by Jay Abraham. Uh, I would read Psycho Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz because that was, that was, that was really the first self-development book on mindset and mindset is critical. And, uh, gee, the third one, it really depends on what would you like to learn right now? Where do you feel? Um, let's the most go... Let's go with a personal finance one because it's something I'm coming more interested in and more or less what should I do with my money? So there's a few. In Australia, a very popular book is called um, The Barefoot Investor. Okay. And that's, that's a popular one. The, the guy before him years and years ago was called um, Noel Whitaker and he had The Golden Rules of Wealth. Um, that's where you learn about compound interest and, and so forth. Yeah. So, um, there's the caveat, you know, a lot of these financial guys, you know, like Dave Ramsey or whatever, they tell you to buy secondhand cars and all of that shit. You don't have to do that. I, so I, I reject some of the, the conservative advice of yeah. some of these people. I think you can go beyond that. I, I, I like new cars and there's a lot of myths about cars, you know, the yeah. new car, you lose money when you drive off the lot. Well, you lose money with a used car too. You just have a crappier older version of it. <laughs> it's like it could be, it's it's how, much, how much money do you want to put into the car is really the question. And because you're going to lose a reselling margin on either car. Um, so I am a bit opinionated with that. I think you can have really nice things and have a good life. That's really what my book's about. Build a business that funds the perfect lifestyle. If I put yep. it in a sentence. Sure. And if you want a book about... Um, about uh, letting go of judgment and about blazing through when all of your peer group are doing different things, then I'd probably read The Courage to Be Disliked. Okay. Uh, which sort of helps you release trauma and um, not worry too much about what other people think. Some great and suggestions. In, in, in terms of a non-financial book that helps you with sort of philosophies on life i quite liked um tao te ching uh which is is sort of a, a way of thinking it's an old chinese way but it's kind of like 
uh, philosophy and it's it's very interesting to me for sure so some great suggestions and i'm i've now got too many on my list so thank you <laughs> um so do you have a quote that you live by or think of often question everything question everything i think that's a great one simple but effective yeah it's kind of like that you know that matrix where you, you know we're we're all operating in a neanderthal habit um you know we crave sugar we we seek praise we um you know we want acceptance i think if we can you know step outside ourselves occasionally just think about why do we do that why does this make me angry um why am i being resistant towards this activity um you know that's when we can start to to get a little bit better operating controls of ourself it's like giving yourself the controls to you uh, when you can question things and it's really something a mentor drummed into me it was probably the best piece of advice he gave me he used to he used to always ask what's the point that was that was his favorite thing what's the point yeah. now whatever you're saying say what's the point and he'd make sure you had a focus because i think some people are drifting along with no point like literally pointless living no yeah and i agree and until you push the, it often you ask why and they'll give you a why and then it's not a real why so you're asking why, them, why. yeah that's what they heard away for sure so question four or five is what advice would you give to your 20 year old self just one piece of golden advice you wish you had known as a 20 year old i'd say everything will turn out just fine because that's the, you know i probably operated a lot from a um external motivators you know i had i did a lot of fear of financial crisis driving me because of the situation i went through at a young age and and as we all do we're all operating as as the young self was programmed unless we reprogram that and i was programmed that we were rich and then we were poor (laughs) it's like and it's not a pattern i want to repeat no and i think that's a great piece of advice just to, don't worry it will, it will all work out eventually final question yeah. of final question of the episode and it is it's always a morbid way to end the episode so i do apologize apologize but i get some seriously interesting answers to this question and it's are you afraid of dying you know i'm at this i'm at the stage of life where i've thought about it um more um than when you're young like I think in my twenties or thirties, I wasn't really considering dying as an option no. at that point. Um, I know reading about singularity and all the sci-fi movies and people like, you know, Ray Kurzweil, et cetera, that are probably not quite in the generation where I'm going to be able to be turned into a, uh, electrons, but maybe you are. So you probably have less to worry about. Like there will be a point where your consciousness or your thought can continue on. So you, you may not have to die unless there's a server crash. Um, your physical body might stop, but that's okay. Um, I literally said to a friend of mine last Friday, because uh, we were surfing this cyclone swell, like just for perspective, the waves are about six or seven feet, uh, which means they're the size of a house. And I was catching wave after wave. I was having the best session. And I said to him out there in the lineup, if I die for some reason, just let them know I was fucking happy. Like 
I'm doing what I love. This is just the best. And so, yeah, I guess I think about it occasionally and I feel like um, it'd be a shame, but yeah. no, I know it's inevitable. It's going to, I'm actually more worried about when my parents passed because that um, will happen at some point, probably in the next two decades. And that will force thoughts and feelings and emotions. So I actually feel more about that than for my own self. I've had an amazing half a century almost. So yeah, I, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about it. Uh, mm. Whereas I know actually one of my kids thinks more about it. He ponders it because he's quite deep. He <laughs> thinks more about, you know, death and stuff. Not that he wants to participate in it, but he's like concerned about it. But yeah, yeah it's, you know, it's interesting. And, and, and then there's, so there's differences between religion and sp- spiritual philosophies. Uh, I, th- I think once you finish, that's it. Probably nothing after that. And it's too hard for people to comprehend that. And that's why they mm. go, they cling very tightly onto their idols or their gods because that gives them a, a way of not having to confront it. It's like a, the easy way out is to think you go off into some Nirvana forever. Ever. Uh, but I think reality is probably just nothing happens at all. <laughs> and and no. I'm okay with that. I'm, I, I believe the same as you personally. And it's difficult to think that way, but I just do think that is the case. And that's all I have for you with regards to questions. And they were some incredible answers to my final five, I must say. So thank you for sharing all of those. And thank you for answering all the questions I've had for you today. So where can my listeners follow up with you if they've got any questions, simply want to connect your book? Where can they find this all? Uh, so the book's on Amazon and Audible. So whether you like to read or listen, and it's a really good investment in terms of return on investment. I, I think it's single best investment I've ever made. My books put the knowledge into my head and that's what helped me get the results I've achieved. Um, I have a website, superfastbusiness.com. There's plenty of podcasts on there. And if you use the search tool, you will probably find an answer to your current biggest constraint whatever that is whatever's holding you back uh, somewhat related actually to the toyota five wires is the is the um w edwards deming work on um process optimization you know with japan after the war yeah. helping them with their production being so competitive um, i think the thing holding you back is is some kind of constraint whatever that is whether it's a mindset constraint or fear or whether it's a financial uh, technical knowledge then there's probably a podcast addressing that topic because there's over 700 podcasts on that site now. Amazing. And I will leave links to those in the show notes below. So the listeners don't worry about remembering, simply scroll down and click. But James, once again, thank you for your time. And thank you for joining me on this episode of CEO Journals. So that's going to wrap up today's episode of the podcast and I can't thank you all enough for listening. I aim to interview some of the most incredible entrepreneurs every single week. So if you found any value in listening to today's episode, I'd seriously appreciate if you could smash that subscribe button and leave a five star rating and review. It only takes a couple of seconds and will help me secure some of the greatest names in business as guests on the show. 
If you want to reach out to me, head over to my Instagram at CEO Journals or send me a connection request on LinkedIn. I'd love to speak to as many of you as possible. Be sure to tune in next week where I'll be talking to another incredible guest where we will be discussing their journey and providing some great tips for all you listeners. I hope you have a lovely rest of your day and once again, thank you for tuning in to today's episode of CEO Journals.